Well, everybody is dis- defined by something, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Everybody, everything is really has, has some way it is defined by. If I were to say this morning, uh, McDonald's to you, uh, what would you say? Yeah, Arches, Big Mac, maybe. Uh, we use something to define different uh, things this morning. In, in seminary, for me, uh, Applebee's was defined as half-off appetizers after 10 o'clock. Uh, it was about twice a week. Uh, we often put a definition on just about everything and everybody. If I gave you two or three seconds and I threw out a name, you would have a word or a phrase that would define that person. I could do the same for an organization. I could do the same for an idea. And we quickly have a definition on that. Now, many times our definitions are not accurate or they don't tell the full story, but a definition often speaks in to something, and usually something that's based in reality. When I first was buying computers, I learned that Dell was defined a little bit more by inexpensive computers. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but that's what I found. Apple was the the graphics and the video design capabilities and all that stuff I didn't know how to do, uh, so I didn't buy one. Everything has a definition. There's even, uh, when we think about people, there's even like something they've said. We think of Donald Trump, and we think of the words, you're fired, yeah. We define things that way. We think about Billy Graham, and we, uh, we would define Billy by that, that altar call, that evangelism. And we could just keep going down and down the list. Sometimes big corporations are defined by things. If we say BP right now, we would think of oil spill, oil disaster. And we define things sometimes by even an event that happened. Captain Sullinger, we would define as hero, landing a plane on the Hudson. And we could go on and on with really any area, any person, any organization. But this morning, the question, and really two questions that we're going to ask, is what defines Christ? What defines Jesus in God's Word? And then what defines you? And how do those things interact? How do those relate and and connect? And that's what we're going to look at this morning, and we're going to be looking at it through a story. Jesus, Jesus has this story that is told uh, in, in the book of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to look at verse 1 through 10 this morning. And I'll get back to it in just a second, but go ahead and take the time to look. We're going to be answering this question of what defines Jesus and what defines you. Would you like me to define define for you this morning? Good, you don't have a choice. I'll do it anyway. The definition is simply to set forth the meaning of. To set forth the meaning of. So when we define something, what we are attempting to do is to set forth the meaning of that thing or that person. So this morning, as we ask these two questions, we are saying, what really is the meaning of Jesus? What, if we could say it this way, what is the role of Jesus? And then we ask, what's the meaning of you? What's the role of you? What's the role of me? Those are the questions, and we're going to kind of answer that as we're working through this story and taking a look at some of, uh, some of these items in here. Now, we've been walking through a series called The Search for Jesus. And over this series, we've looked at kind of the historical background. We're going to recap that in just a few minutes. We've looked at Jesus' teachings and how they were a little radically different, and they challenged the cultural norms, and even more so, they challenged the religious norms of Jesus' time, and they were full of this compassion. Uh, and we'll talk about that more as it relates to this story as well. But it brings us down to the end of this series as we finish this week, and we have to ask this question now. What centrally was this role of Jesus? What defines him 
and what does that mean to me? All right, Luke chapter 19, we're going to take a, take a look at this, 1 through 10. Now, this is a pretty uh, familiar story and a popular story to you. If I were to tell you this morning, if I were to say the word Zacchaeus, what would come to your... Yeah, a wee little man would come to your mind. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was here. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Um, I'll stop there. Uh, yeah, we have it kind of pegged and defined. But as we look through this, these 10 verses this morning, I think some more will come to light. Less about what Zacchaeus is defined as, though we'll investigate that, but more by what Jesus is defined as. So let's jump into it. Luke chapter 19, it'll flow on the screen, but if you've got your Bible, always the best option. If you have your, your own Word of God right in front of you, you can write in, mark in, look at, um, you can cross-reference. I've learned you can't really cross-reference on the PowerPoint very well, so uh, uh, I encourage you, bring that along with you. All right, let's take a look at it. Uh, first verse there, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and was passing through. Now, uh, just, to, just to put a setting in place, Jesus, as he's passing through Jericho, his next stop was Jerusalem. In fact, his next stop in Jerusalem was now the beginning of the last week of his life because as he gets into Jerusalem, the next story we get in Jerusalem is the triumphal entry. And so we are starting to see the last of Jesus' life. This is the height of Jesus', you know, you could call it popularity and his following at this time. And so he is full-blown public ministry by this time. And so wherever he went, crowds would come. We even have stories in God's Word where, you know, he would have to get in a boat and go out uh, to, to, to kind of move away from the crowd, or he had other times where they would move him, his disciples being they, away from the crowds that were pressing in. And so this is about the time of Jesus' ministry where he's about to head to Jerusalem, and we know about to head to the cross. So at that point, so he's passing through Jericho, and he's on his way. Whatever's about to happen to this story, the writer here, Luke, is letting us know he was passing through that in that passing through, we would know whatever's going to happen in the story, whatever we're going to talk about this morning, it didn't seem to be a scheduled stop for Jesus. Meaning he didn't line up, hey, when we go through there, I want to stop at Zacchaeus' place and chit-chat with that guy. It seemed like he was just passing through as what the author. Now, we don't want to read too much into the scripture, but as we see there, it would seem Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, and that is his focus, and it's been his focus. But this story occurs along the way. Verse 2, there was a man, uh, there was there, a man was there, excuse me, by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, a chief tax collector in those days he would have meant he was a chief tax collector for the Roman government. All right? This was not the Jewish people that were asking him to collect taxes on the Jewish people. All right? He was an employee of the Roman government. What would happen is the Roman government would come in and they would actually hire or pick people that would do different tasks for them. Uh, and this would help keep the peace to a degree because it was a Jewish person doing a job kind of maintaining the Jewish people. And so Zacchaeus was one of these people, and he was hired to do tax collecting. Now, uh, our very first week of this series, we talked about the historical Jesus. And remember, we, we kind of talked about the 400 years leading up to the writing of the Gospels, when the Gospels were in, it was seemingly a 400 years of silence. We don't get a prophet during this, this time. We don't get a huge proclamation uh, during this time. But there is incredible things happening in the region. First, the, it was kind of Greek influence that came in and started to take over. Uh, all, all of Israel started to take over this, this Greek influence. And in fact, it was embraced 
by the Jewish people, the Hebrews, it was embraced. And then there was this group that stood up and said, look, we've got to stop embracing all of this Greek culture. We need to get back to the law of the Old Testament and start living by it. And that group was known as the Pharisees. Now, we would learn that they would go so far in their obeying of the laws that they would actually start writing laws to cover situations that, weren't, that didn't show up uh, in the actual law of the Old Testament. And so they got crazy with it, all the way to the point where Jesus would describe these guys you know, as very, very legalistic, and he would actually preach against these Pharisees. And remember, on the other side, we talked about the Sadducees. That, I mean, they were very, very happy to embrace this Greek culture that was coming in, and they started to reinterpret some of the Jewish laws based on this, this, uh, uh, this Greek culture that was coming in. Jesus, we find out, they'd got so far on the side of kind of dismissing things of the Old Testament that Jesus speaks against the Sadducees as well. And this is like this, this is the environment that Jesus comes into. And then there was this major like empire political movement where the Roman Empire came in and they pretty much gained control everywhere here. There was actually a big dispute in, in Israel area, in that Middle East area that they asked the Roman Empire to come help them resolve the dispute. And guess what? They never went home. They just kind of took over uh, the whole region there. And so that's the political climate that Jesus comes into today. And so you can see, as the Roman government is there, they've hired now a Jewish person to collect their taxes in the, this region where predominantly Jewish people would have lived. And that is Zacchaeus here. Now, uh, in this, uh, this area, just at Jericho here, uh, they were known for production of uh, balsam, um, which was one thing that was used in like medicine and perfume. And so being a tax collector in this area probably was an area where you could gain a little bit of money. There was kind of a, a, you know, something of value that was produced there. But that's not really where he earned his money. Zacchaeus would have earned his money mainly, from, or first of all, from a salary that was paid by the Roman government, but secondly, he would have earned his money by putting his own percentage on top of the taxes. And he would have said, I need to collect this percentage. He would have sent the correct percentage on to the Roman government and kept the percentage that he added on top of it, plus he would have kept his salary. Hence, in the, in the book of uh, Luke here, that he was a wealthy man. And so you would uh, gain to understand that the Jews would not have been very excited about this that one of their own folks, hired by the Roman government, was taxing them and now just taxing the heck out of them, adding his own tax on top of it so he could get his own money and put his own money in his pocket and become a rich person here. The Roman government, they didn't care anything about Zacchaeus being a rich person. So it didn't come from the salary. It came from this extra off the top. Now, since Jewish people, they had really no avenue to appeal to the Roman government at the time, there was nowhere to go with it. They just simply had to kind of deal with this. And so Zacchaeus, with those folks, he was defined. He was defined by cheating people. He was defined by greed. And so you could see these people, these tax collectors would not have been very well liked. Do you know what the, the name Zacchaeus means? I'll tell you. Uh, it's a Jewish name, and it actually means pure and righteous one. Pure and righteous one. Meaning that when Zacchaeus' parents named him, they had this vision of who he could be. They looked at him and they said, you know, this is what this child that we brought into the world, this, this child that, that by God's hand we created, we want him to be pure and righteous. 
No doubt they would have started him off learning about God's law and going to synagogue, but somewhere, somewhere it went amiss because the definition of Zacchaeus by his people at this time certainly would not have been pure and righteous. Well, let's take a look at verse 3. It says, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, uh, you, like maybe me, I, I've often uh, wondered, um, you know, why did he want to see Jesus in the first place? I mean, he, you know, he was, a, he was a tax collector. He was very wealthy. It, it's obvious that that what God wanted him to be about, this pure and righteous, certainly did not dominate his life, yet he, we find that he has this need to want to see Jesus. Now, I said just a little bit ago that this is the, the height of Jesus' popularity. I mean, Jesus' celebrity status had pretty much had flown through everywhere by now. And so maybe it was just that reason. Maybe Zacchaeus, just being somebody who thought he was somewhat of importance, thought, I probably should see this other person that was of importance as well. Maybe for Zacchaeus, he didn't quite understand what Jesus was defined by. He just knew he was a, another popular person, and he was you know, somewhat a well-known person in his own mind, and so he wanted to see Jesus. Or the question is, was he searching for something? Had Zacchaeus come to a point in his life where he just realized that living this life of kind of cheating his own people and, and working every day to somehow get an advantage financially for him in this industry, it was just tiring. It, it, was he just searching at some point saying, you know, I'm, just, I'm tired of this type of life? Was he remembering even his upbringing uh, pure and righteous, maybe his time in synagogue? Was he remembering any of that and saying, you know what? It's time for me to do a little soul-searching here. It's time for me to do a little bit of evaluating on my own life. I mean, we know what that's like, don't we? I mean, have you ever had that, that day or time where you've just kind of stopped in your life and said, man, am I going the right direction in life? You know, what, what am I really accomplishing in life? What is what I strive for day after day? What really does it contribute to this world? And you've had to just kind of process with yourself about life, and you've started to think, man... I'm not sure if what I'm doing is really making a difference and impact. I'm not sure if what I'm doing really pleases God. And you, you start to think, what well, would it be different if I did this or that? That very well may have been where Zacchaeus was at. You know what the Bible calls us when we're doing that or calls people like that? The Bible calls us lost. Lost. Now that term has come to, to mean something that... Uh, you know, we get a little jittery in the church about when we say lost, because when we think about the word lost, we think like, you know, clueless. You know, like, ah, just moron, just lost, just, just out. They don't know what they're doing at all. But that's not the biblical definition. The biblical definition of lost is to miss out on. We actually talked about this last week, if you were here, to miss out on. And so when you say you're lost and you're seeking and you're called lost, that means you're missing out on something. That God has designed you for something. He's designed me for something very specific. And when we go day after day or year after year, and we're not walking in that design, it just doesn't feel right. There's still an emptiness. There's a void. There's something that doesn't fit. And because of that, we are lost, missing out on something. We often define it only as somebody who doesn't know God at all, a non-Christian. That's the only person that can be lost. And they're lost, meaning they're not going to heaven in the end. 
Now, all of that works into lost as well. It's clear in God's word. But it's not the fullness of the meaning. The fullness of the meaning is when we're not on target with God, we are missing out on something. And we're lost. We may still have a relationship with God. We may be still going to heaven in the future. But we're still missing out on something. And Zacchaeus may have felt for himself, look, I grew up in synagogue, I've learned all these things. He probably memorized the Pentateuch just like all the other uh, young Jewish boys. But maybe he's going, man, there's something missing here. Something missing. And he is lost. Well, let's take a look, uh, uh, continue on. So he ran ahead in verse 4, climbed a sycamore tree to see, uh, to see him, Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus was obviously moved by what he saw. As he walked down the path, and there was this guy up in a tree looking to see Jesus. Have you ever been out at a really, really packed, or seen on TV, a really packed golf tournament? Ever seen these? I mean, there are a few holes that they build these grandstands up, but it's not like going into a football stadium or a baseball stadium where there's you know, grandstands all the way around. And so you get off on some of the like, like hole one or hole 18, you get off those, and you will see people trying to gain a view advantage in all kinds of areas. Now, some architects have actually started building uh, courses where they have mounds, but the ones that are not, I mean, you will see this when people are up in these trees trying to watch the golfers come by. And I often think as I'm watching, what they're seeing is they're seeing one guy, he comes, he gets on a tee, he makes one shot, then he walks down the fairway and he's 300 yards away uh, from the guy up in the tree. But they're in the tree looking at these things. I've been there, I've seen these, these uh, tree climbers uh, there at the golf tournament. Zacchaeus is up in the tree, Jesus comes by, and he is obviously moved by what he sees. I've never seen a caddy say, hey, come on down from that tree, or a golfer, come on down from the tree and carry my bag the rest of the way, and come on down, we'll have some lunch at the turn. But Jesus, he's obviously moved here. And he says, come down, Zacchaeus, from that tree. Do you know that Jesus is always moved? He's always compassionate on people that are seeking him. When you are searching for more, and you are wanting to investigate what Christ has to offer your life, he is always compassionate. We never see in Scripture that Jesus just says, you know, hey, if you do these 10, 11, 12 things right, get it all right, and then come and we'll talk again about how you do this. Jesus here is very compassionate on this man who's in a tree and he's seeking. We get other times in Scripture where he's walking, he stops to heal. He stops to hold children. He speaks to people. He teaches. Jesus is always compassionate on these people. You know, if you're a person who's you're ready to seek or you've been seeking or you're searching for something that Christ has to offer, this morning, he has the same compassion on you. He has the same desire to stop and, and chat with you, just like he did uh, Zacchaeus. Here's another neat little thing uh, that, that uh, we find here uh, in this, this passage is that, that Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus. Now, you may think, well, big deal. Jesus talks to a, a, a lot of people here. This is the height of Jesus' popularity. As he's walking through, I mean, the crowd setting would have been immense here, all the way to the point that obviously Zacchaeus could not get to the front of any line to see him, and so he climbs. That's the crowd, and Jesus stops, and he speaks. 
he spends time talking to. Now, when I'm in a hurry sometimes and I'm passing people, you know, I do kind of more of a wave or, hey, what's up? And, you know, but this is Jesus stopping and talking. This is an unscheduled time, as we said in the beginning, as he passed through, to show the significance of what he wanted to, to, to have with Zacchaeus and how he wanted to then move forward, we'll find in just a minute in this verse. And, you know, as I sit and I think about Wendover Hills, I really believe these two things we just talked about, that's the kind of church God has called us to be. That God doesn't really need us to just gather together for, uh, for enjoyment and fellowship and do cookouts here and there. All that could be a part of what we do. But at our core, what we need to be defined at as, as a church is a place where people can walk in our doors just like they are, seeking, and they can find compassion. They can find somebody who doesn't say, well, hey, you know, let's get these things in order and then we'll work on it but that we would receive them, love them, care for them, they would find everything that Christ, and that we would speak with them. Meaning we would engage with them. We would offer them community. We would say, hey, let's go grab lunch and get to know one another, that we would speak into them. And that's what Jesus does here. He stops, shows compassion, and then all the way to the point that he'll have a conversation with Zacchaeus. And then, I mean, this is just for fun, this last thing that we pick up on here, but that he, you notice that, that he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, um, and I must stay at your house today. Uh, interesting is first, it appears that Jesus has an incredible ability of inviting himself over to other people's houses. Because <laughs> uh, that's what's going on here. And uh, it's biblical, folks. So uh, if I do it for you, just uh, I'll claim this verse. Uh, let's look on. Verse 6, it says, So he came down at once and, and welcomed him gladly. Obviously, Zacchaeus was excited about this. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? You know, this is our compare and contrast verse here, comparing how Jesus responded to Zacchaeus, how other people must have been responding to Zacchaeus, and how they're now responding to how Jesus is responding to Zacchaeus. Now, we're going to talk about this verse in just a minute here, but uh, it's very clear that Jesus is willing to come and to socialize with the scum of the earth, because that's what the people would have thought of Zacchaeus. And that was very, very confusing. Very confusing to the folks in this crowd. We'll talk about it more in just a second. Verse 8, though. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. When I was in seminary, I had a professor. His name was Robert Tuttle. And uh, I was driving a bus route right after Robert Tuttle's class one of the years. Now, uh, driving a bus route is not really the thing that you necessarily have this immense joy going and doing. And I had, I had junior high and high school, mainly junior hires, and we went way out into the country and kind of the, the no man's land out here. And I'm telling you, when I chose my bus route, I was second to the last in seniority on choosing my route. Let me tell you, that was a brutal route that they gave me. Not the roads. I'm not talking about the roads. The roads were fine. I'm talking about the kids that were on my bus. It was rough, rough situation. In fact, we had a kid that for weeks was letting off stink bombs in the bus, and uh, we couldn't figure out who it was. We were trying to investigate who it was. We were calling him the Una Stink Bomber, just trying to figure out where these bombs were coming from, and uh, eventually we did find them. Um, all kinds of stuff would happen on that bus, and so there was times that uh, I didn't look forward the afternoon route especially 
going with great joy when they were wide awake and just had their candy stop uh, uh, at the school. But I would go into Dr. Tuttle's class, and he would talk about how much joy there is in sharing God's Word and interacting with people, interacting with the down and out, and interacting with people who wanted to have nothing to do with God, and, and, and that there's such joy in that, that type of approach to ministry. And I find myself coming out, after an hour of listening to his lectures, I would find myself coming out, driving with excitement, getting on the bus with excitement, and then when every kid would get on the bus, you know, I would be like, you know, something like, hey, you know, Charlie, what's up? You know, I was just kind of over the top that day because of this influence I had had in his class on, on that particular afternoon. That was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm sure Tuesday, Thursday on the bus, I was kind of like, get in, shut up, sit down. Um, <laughs> but those days, I mean, I was just energized. And that was the interaction I had with uh, Robert Tuttle and his class. Zacchaeus comes out of this meeting. He is so energized by whatever happened in that time, that meal with Jesus, that he is willing to make this dramatic proclamation. He said, look, I'm going to give half of my money to the poor. Half, right off the top. 50%, just cut it in half. I'll give it all to the poor. Now, we talk a lot about tithing here, and, and we believe strongly in the principle of tithing, the 10% that we give back to the Lord. And, we, and you know, we'll do it again this morning when, when the plates come around. Zacchaeus pops out the door and he says, look, uh, 10%, you know, I know, I know the Old Testament, but I'm going to give 50% to the the poor, boom, 50% off that. And then he says, uh, if, I've, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now, uh, I'm not a huge math whiz, some of you are, but as I compute the dollars here and I try to throw in, you know, fictitious figures to figure this out, uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to be uh, left with anything. I can't even figure out how he's going to cover the four times here. He must have had, you know, quite a stash that he built up here. But he's so moved by this interaction with Jesus that he is compelled to give the money. Look, giving the money is not the key issue here. The key issue is the life transformation. He was defined by taking money from people. And this transformation with Christ redefined him to giving money to people. That was what happened, this transformation with Christ. 180 degree, full turnaround. I would just love to have been in that room and to hear what Jesus had said. We get no glimpse of it. Luke doesn't help us out as he writes. I'd love to have been there to hear what exactly did Jesus say. I can tell you this based on this story, that if today you're seeking for something more, if there's like this heaviness in your, in your life, and, and, and you know your life has just been warning change, there might be a sin involved like, like it would have been for Zacchaeus here, that an encounter with Christ, can bring a quick and immediate change in your life. It can happen. And know that from the story. It's loud and clear. I don't know what uh, Jesus' sales pitch was that day, um, but listen to some of the words. Jesus says in his, in, his, in his other verses, I come that you might have life and more life than you've ever dreamed of. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. And I love the, the passage he says at the end of John. He says, my peace be with you. Maybe those are things Zacchaeus heard. But we know he walked out of there and life was dramatically different. It might have took a little while for the people to figure it out, but his life would have been defined by something incredibly different. Jesus goes on to say, verse 9, listen to this, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek 
and save the lost. What defines Jesus? It's clear in this passage, Jesus he answers it himself. He says, his definition is to seek first. To seek. That Jesus is willing to seek us in our emptiness. He's willing to seek us in our struggle in life. He's willing to seek us in the hardships we face, some of which we cause by our own decision, some of which are just circumstantial. Uh, we didn't have anything to do with it. Just boom, it's upon us. And he's willing to seek us and speak into our situation there. He will seek. You know, here, here's, here's the uh, amazing uh, part here is that uh, in that time, the rabbis wouldn't have been out necessarily being defined by seeking. You know, a rabbi in that time would have most often been in the, in the synagogue and you would have gone to the synagogue and you would have worshipped there, you would have received teaching there. The rabbi may have been in the community as well, but here we're, we're told that Jesus is defined by seek. There's an, an awesome part here too is that Jesus says in the same passage that he has the power to save as well. He doesn't stop just on seeking, but he says, look, I have to seek and save. And we talked about what the loss meant a little bit earlier. Meaning this morning when Jesus says this, I'm seek and save the lost, that he has a desire to find, to seek, to find you in your struggle, to find Zacchaeus in his struggle, and then he has the power to transform that struggle, to transform uh, that emptiness. Earlier in a verse, I said some people were saying, uh, he's gone to be a guest of the sinner, and they were muttering this. They were very confused by this. Again, this was somewhat of a religious cultural issue because the rabbi would not enter a home of somebody who was really a known violator of sin. They wouldn't enter that type of dwelling and that type of home. And so Jesus is kind of pushing against that and he goes into this home to be with Zacchaeus. It's clear that Jesus has a whole new way to minister to people going right to our need, right to where, where we're struggling in and then he has the power to transform. He has the power to save those of us who are lost, who are missing out on something, who are seeking, who maybe even we have the, the grow-up religious experience of Zacchaeus, but it's certainly not quite took, and we're searching and we're seeking. And Jesus goes to Zacchaeus. It's amazing that that happened. So the last question this morning is really the question only you can answer is, what defines you? What's it been in your life that's def defined you? And maybe it is finances for you too. Maybe your whole world is wrapped up not in cheating people, but wondering about money. How are we going to make it here? How are we going to do this? How am I going to pay for this? And everything that engulfs you is wrapped up in that mind. Is paying for things important? Absolutely. Does God want us to come to, uh, come to him? Yeah. And he has something to offer us in that. Maybe it's worry in life. Maybe you're just a person that you just constantly can't get past worrying about things, struggling about worry, and God says, man, I have something to offer you in this. What defines your life? What is it? What does it define you? At the end of the day, my hope and my desire always is that I would be defined by my love for God and my desire to do His will. That's what I want my definition to be, my love for God and my desire to do His will. Now, you, you may look and say, you know, I... You know, Tom loves baseball. Maybe he's an, even a good father. Um, sometimes he orders unsweet tea and calls it regular tea. Um, you can read your pastor's connection for that story. Um, but uh, I'm just going to say publicly, back off. 
so joking. Um, I'm not really joking, though. Um, no, no, I am joking. I'm joking. Glenn, I'm joking. All right. Um, they may even say, look, Tom's got a compassionate heart. He's got a good heart. He loves people. He'll stop and talk to people. Um, they may say, man, he's a pastor. Or he's a good pastor. All those things. None of those things would mean anything. The definition of my life wants to be my, de- my love for God and my desire to do his will. You know what? You, you can join me in that. It's a, it's a journey that I'm on, and you can pop right aboard the journey if you're not already on it. Maybe you're not a believer. You're somebody who's never said yes to Christ. You've been around it, or maybe it's your first time kind of hearing it in, in definition here. But your life can be defined by a follower of Christ if you just say, look, Lord, forgive me of my selfishness. Forgive me of the times where I have just gone and defined my own life for myself. I surrender my life to you. Maybe you're a believer this morning, but you've just gotten so distant from it, it's just not, it just doesn't define you. You got your testimony story, you kind of got that tucked away in your pocket, but, but it doesn't define your life. You can join me on the same journey. You can, the same journey that the Wendover Hills family can be on. And God will do amazing stuff, just like he did for Zacchaeus in his life. This morning, if, if there's something like just real impressing, or this impacts you, or this just hits you where you're at this morning... Um, that card I talked about earlier, just take that and on the back, just write a little something that we can be praying for you about or something that you say, you know, God really did this in my life this morning. I surrendered this or I'm ready to make this commitment. Whatever it is God's kind of speaking to you about that you're ready to do some business on, those cards just come to me and, um, but I'd love to connect with you or at least, very least, pray for you about that. Well, let me go and pray for us all right now and uh, then we will we'll continue and sing our way out of here. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that uh, you are a God that seeks us. Lord, if we're lost, if we're struggling, if we're in a position where a sin has kind of taken over our life and we have been bound by it, Lord, you are seeking us. And you have the power to save us. You have the power to fill us with the thing that is missing. And Lord, this morning we claim it and we want it. Lord, I know that there would be one or two or many out there this morning that they know exactly what I'm talking about. They hear it often, and then uh, if they can just get past hearing about it, then they can go right on and, and live the life that, that's of struggle. This morning's the morning for them just to surrender before you, to give it up, and to receive what has been missing, your salvation and the fullness of what you have to offer our life. I give you the praise in this, in your son's name. Amen.